Welcome to Built to Go, a van life podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Wagg, coming to you from the College of Curiosity and the middle, maybe not the middle, the edge of the Pacific Ocean. I'm recording this off the coast of Mexico as I head down to some touristy spots that we'll talk about later. This time we're going to talk about recycling because, folks, we need to have a talk about recycling. We're also going to talk about the realities of recirculating showers and a resource recommendation that might help you sort through all the COVID restrictions. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening to this episode 99 and also the last episode of this format, which isn't actually true. Episode 100, I'm going to change some things around, but... It will remain the same podcast. It will remain free. It will have basically the same content. I'm just going to shake things up a little bit and, and change a couple of things. And that's just to, you know, make it a little bit fresh because, hey, it's been 100 episodes. It's actually been 102 or 103, depending on how you count. And someone told me that because I don't actually have seasons on this show, it's actually messing up some of the podcast apps. So I'm going to make all the episodes 1 through 100 season 1, and then I'll make 100 through 200 season 2. We'll just go like that and we'll see. So just that's what's coming. So next time things may be a little different, but it's still built to go. Now, most folks who engage in van life, certainly not all, are environmentally minded. They, they care about the environment. They subscribe to leave no trace. They certainly don't want to make a mess out there anywhere. And this, of course, lends itself to thinking about recycling. Now, recycling is varied. It is so different in different places across the country. It's kind of confusing. You can go to places like Seattle and Vermont where you have to break up your recycling into a whole bunch of different bins. And in some places you actually have to recycle compost. It's the law. Or you can go to other places where there either is no recycling or it's just one bin of some things. So when you get in your van and you're traveling, whatever you're used to, you can kind of put that aside. You're not home anymore. You're not living in the city anymore. You're in a new reality and the values of recycling, pro or con, have changed. And it's time we took a look at that and considered, as somebody living or traveling in a vehicle, what is the best way for me to recycle that makes the most sense? Now, of course, there is reduce, reuse, recycle. Recycle is the third step. The first thing you want to do is reduce the amount of stuff you use. This, this is kind of obvious. And, and this just kind of comes naturally because if you're living in a small space, you are going to acquire less stuff else you have no space for you. So you will reduce. It will just happen naturally, but you can give some thought to it. There are things that you buy that come with a whole lot of packaging and you will rapidly learn that all that packaging is a pain in the butt. So the strategy there is buy things with less packaging. I mean, you could go to co-ops and places that sell bulk food and just buy it like that and fill your own containers, but that's more difficult to do now that COVID is with us, but it is an option. It's certainly an option for water. Plastic water bottles are are so convenient and so ubiquitous and just so wasteful. I mean, I get it. I see a sealed plastic water bottle and I instantly think that's fresh, it's clean, it's ready to go and I can drink it. And then I see a bottle that I've filled myself and somehow I hold it in less regard. But folks, let me tell you something. I worked very briefly in a water bottling company in Utah and that water comes out of a tap. 
Now, it's a known good tap. It's tested and everything, but it literally just comes out of a tap, goes into the bottle, which has an open top as it goes down the line, and then a cover is slapped on it, and that's it. It's actually no different than if you refilled your own bottle. The only difference is, is that it's a new plastic bottle rather than one you refilled. That doesn't necessarily mean it's more sanitary. Uh, there are many ways for bacteria to get in water bottles, disposable water bottles, and we had this... This was back in the 80s, but on the, the production line we had, sometimes the bottle caps wouldn't go on right. So we just had a bunch of caps sitting there in a bucket of water. And if one didn't go on right, you'd reach your bare hand into that bucket, grab it out of the water, and slap it onto the bottled water. Then went to a supermarket and was sold. I mean, this isn't magic here. It's not like soda bottles that need to be strong because you're holding something under pressure. It's just water. So consider that. If you want to reduce, water bottles is a good place to look. Again, you can only reduce so much. So what about reusing? Well, those are a little bit the same thing here. I mean, if you buy a jar of mayonnaise, you can use the mayonnaise up, and then you can keep that jar, and you can fill it with oatmeal, or you can fill it with some sauce you made, or whatever. If you have refrigeration, you have more options like this. So, yes, consider those things. Those things will save you from having to recycle and actually solve the recycling problem I'm about to discuss. Now, recycling is a very difficult and somewhat non-intuitive issue to talk about. In American society and in societies all around the world, I assume, recycling is seen as a virtue. The more you recycle, the better a person you are. But unfortunately, that isn't true necessarily. Here's a story that illustrates that. When I was back in a master's program at the University of Vermont way back in the early 2000s, a program I didn't finish by the way, um, I ordered pizza for the class because I was like that. And at the end of the class, we had these pizza boxes and I looked at them and saw there was some cheese on the boxes and I threw them away. And holy cow, did I catch a ration of crap for that. Jeff, what are you doing? You're throwing away all those perfectly good recyclables. What a horrible person you are. And well, no, <laughs> I was doing the right thing. You see, it's a complicated calculus to know whether you should recycle some. Cardboard, number one, is a very low value recyclable. Nobody is making money off recycling cardboard. It decomposes. It is one of the least important things to recycle. The problem with cardboard is that it takes up a lot of space, so it'll fill up a landfill quickly. And yes, it'll take a long time to decompose there, but eventually it will. If your cardboard has food on it, you shouldn't recycle it. <laughs> Seriously, read the instructions on any recycling thing anywhere. If food gets on your cardboard, it is worthless. It can't be recycled. And in fact, you will end up costing the recycling process more because if there is a batch of recycling that has cardboard with food on it, Usually the entire batch is thrown out. So by throwing away that pizza box, you could be making an entire cubic yard of recycling go to the landfill. And that isn't what you want. Just that one example shows that you really need to have an understanding of how recycling works. I was introduced to a new concept recently that actually prompted me to talk about this, and it's called wish cycling. You see, again, Recycling is a sign of virtue. It's a sign of being a good person. So people want to recycle as much as they can. And they may grab an object and be like, hmm, this might be recyclable. I'll go ahead and throw it in the recycling. Well, folks, the entire recycling industry is asking you not 
to do that because one of the biggest problems they face is contamination. And just like I said, if one contaminated item gets into the stream, they will often have to throw away an entire block of recycling because the labor costs are so intensive, it's simply not worth it to try to fish that one thing out. When you're at home and you have a lot of space for bins and you have a lot of time to research and you know what your local jurisdiction needs, well, in those cases, it's not that hard to figure it out. Plastic bags are almost never recyclable at home. If you have plastic bags, the only place you're probably going to be able to recycle them is at the grocery store. But then from there, everything gets a little murky and some places separate and some places don't, whatever. In your van, all the economies change. First off, you're traveling, so you may be in a jurisdiction that you don't really understand what they need. And second, you have very limited space. So while it may be practical at home to have three or four different bins to put stuff in, that's a lot of space to give up in a van. In my opinion, and I know there are people who disagree with me, you should try to recycle only high value, clearly obvious recyclable things. Anything with any doubt at all, throw it away. Because in your van, you are not producing that much waste for the landfill. You're not having much of an impact on the landfill. Adding a little bit more isn't going to matter. But you could negatively impact the recycling stream, and you don't want to do that. So what are these high-value things I'm talking about? Well, number one is aluminum. Aluminum cans, just aluminum cans, actually, are super valuable for recycling. They're probably the number one recyclable that is of value where there is actually a profit that people can make recycling it. Not necessarily you, but the company taking it, which is important because if they make a profit, they're going to do it properly. A bad thing is that the recycling companies say that you should not crush your aluminum cans. You should leave them intact because the machines they use to sort will they actually use air. They blow the cans off the line, and if the cans are crushed, they don't work. That's not so great for us in the vans because we don't want to take up space. So I don't worry about that much. I actually do crush, but I make sure that they go into a bin that's just for aluminum. So hopefully it will be less of a problem. Plastics, are they high value or not? Plastics are a complicated problem. They're not really high value in that someone can take them and sell them for a lot of money, but they're high value in that plastics are a real problem with pollution and they last forever. So you want them to get to the right place. So if there's any chance they can be recycled, you want that to happen. Now, the nature of plastics recycling is that you do want to rinse them out, but they don't have to be completely clean, unlike cardboard. Let's say you had a plastic ketchup bottle. Well, you could put some water in it, rinse it out, and squirt it out. There might be a little ketchup left in there, but that's okay. You can recycle that. You should make sure the plastic goes into a bin that says explicitly that it will accept that kind of plastic and that number. These days, almost all plastics that have a number are recyclable in most places. But again, a lot of times things like yogurt cups aren't recyclable. It's complicated. If you're in doubt about that plastic container though, throw it in the trash. No, seriously do. Okay, steel cans, cans that, you know, like cans of vegetables that you bought at the store, those are pretty easy to recycle. They do have some value, so you should try to find a place to put them. Most times I see mixed recycling that will take steel cans. And you can just cut the top and bottom off and then flatten those and keep them in a container, and that isn't too big of a deal. So it is worth it to recycle those. One of the most difficult things to recycle are those green propane canisters. 
wow, are they difficult. Now, they're just made of steel. Technically, they should be recyclable, but there's such a risk that a can with some gas in it will get in the line and cause an explosion that most recycling places won't take them at all. They don't take them. If you throw them in with the recycling, they either need to be taken out or that whole batch of recycling will get thrown out. National parks have literal piles of these bottles because they don't know what to do with them. So my best advice to you is to try not to use those green one-pound propane cans. They are a problem. And as a side note, while you can get devices that will let you refill those with a bigger tank, it isn't safe. People have died doing it, and it is illegal to transport a refilled, non-refillable one-pound bottle. So just understand that. What do you do with them if you have them? Well, unfortunately, the best thing to do is to keep them all and then deliver them to someone who's collecting them, which is typically a jurisdiction, and they do it maybe once or twice a year, and often you have to live in that jurisdiction for them to take them. You can see the problem. Now, failing all that, what should you do? Well, the best I can come up with is grab the needle that's in the valve, the relief valve that's on the side, and yank it out so that there's a hole so we know that the tank is empty, and then throw it in the trash. It seems so wasteful to throw all that steel in the trash. I mean, that's probably enough steel to make a hundred cans, but the way things are right now, that is the best thing to do with them. Butane canisters are a little different. They're really just kind of like spray cans. So with those, when they're empty, I just stab them with a knife a few times so it's obvious they're empty. And I do put those in recycling. I've never seen anything specific about what to do with those. But make sure it's obvious that they're empty. You can even hammer them flat and cut them with a strong pair of scissors so it's obvious. Other things like paper, you're not going to produce enough paper to be worth it. Don't go to any special effort to recycle paper. If you're the type of person who has campfires, save the paper for the campfire. And that, that goes for cardboard too. It's just not worth the effort to go to any great lengths to recycle those. And the last bit, and I know everyone's going to be mad at me for this segment already, but don't ever, ever drive just to recycle something. Seriously, if you're 15 minutes away from a recycling center, the 15 minutes drive is going to do more environmental damage than all your recycling is going to do. Throw it in the trash. No, really. I'm on a cruise ship right now and I'm paying very careful attention to how they handle recyclables on the ship. And they basically said today that they don't trust the passengers to know how to recycle properly. So what they do is they do post-consumer recycling. They want you to throw everything in the trash, and then they will go through it and recycle what they can. And I kind of wish the whole country operated on that system. Las Vegas resorts operate on that system, too, in many cases. And it's ultimately the best system. But right now, we don't live in that system. It is up to us to recycle. And when you're living in a van... I would say the principle of first do no harm should be at the forefront. So when in doubt, throw it out and only recycle the things that really make sense. I know it's counterintuitive. It feels wrong. Throwing a plastic bottle in the trash makes you feel like a bad person. I get that. But that's where we're at. It actually makes sense. And if you're trying to care about the environment, you do have to pay attention to the whole picture, not just where you are. Tech Talk, 
So you're new to van life or you're looking into van life and you're like, hmm, how do you take a shower in a van? And I've got a video on some different ways to take a shower. There's a whole bunch of different ways to do it. You can just, you know, if you're going to be gone for the weekend, you can just use wet wipes. If you're going to be gone for a week, maybe you just want to wash your hair and do your pits and bits and all that. But maybe you're the kind of person like I used to be that you need that hot 15 minute shower every day just to feel like a human being. And, and that's who I was a few years ago. I absolutely needed that. If I didn't spend that time in the shower in the morning, I couldn't think straight and I didn't feel clean all day. And because of that, some people have gone to a lot of effort to create what are called recirculating showers for vans. The idea is that you get in the shower, you take your shower, the water goes down the drain, it's then filtered sterilized and sent back into the tank and you can keep reusing it. If you have one of these systems, you can take a hot 15 minute shower every single day and only use maybe a liter or half a liter of water. So that sounds great, doesn't it? I mean, you could basically take showers like you do at home in your van. Well, let's talk about the reality of that. It is absolutely possible to do it. People do do it, but there is a price to pay. The first one is, well, financial. These systems are complex. They have several different filters. They have a UV system. They're not something you can just buy off the shelf. So you have to learn how to build all this, install it yourself. And then you've got this thing where there's a lot of things that can break, that requires a lot of maintenance, and it takes up a lot of space. Typically, you'll have some sort of a UV light that will sterilize the water and then three levels of filter down to, I think, 0.5 micron. And those filters need to either be washed or replaced regularly. So that's not so great. The other part is that the best way to use these systems is not to use any soap. So you can take that long shower, but you can't really go in there and lather up like crazy and then let all that soap go down the drain because you'll clog those filters almost instantly. Now, some folks say if they use biodegradable soaps, which I'm not really sure are a thing, it won't be as bad. But the truth is that the filters don't care if it's biodegradable or not. All they care about is how big things are, and those soaps are going to clog them up too. So, boy, it sounds great, doesn't it? You can take a shower in your van just like you take one at home. But the reality is that it's not easy. It's expensive. It takes up a lot of space and requires a lot of maintenance. And we haven't even talked about heating the water, which is a whole other issue. So if you're thinking about it, watch a lot of videos, but try to watch videos where they talk about having used the shower for several months. I'll have a link to one of those in the show notes where you can see what this couple says about the recirculating shower that they've had for a few months. They're still using it. They're mostly happy with it, but there are some realities you should be aware of. Resource recommendation. So COVID is still with us. I'm tired of talking about it. You're tired of talking about it. I understand. But we live in this era now where things are rapidly changing and some places require vaccination cards, other places don't, some places require tests and some want the rapid test and some want a PCR test. How do you know what you need if you're going to go to a place? And this is especially true for international travel. Well, IATA, I-A-T-A, which is a, an association of travel agents, basically, they're the organization that has created all the airport codes like ORD is O'Hare and FLL is Fort Lauderdale, etc. They, they're basically a resource center for travel agents, and they have come up with a site that they claim will be up to date all the time that will tell you what you need to go where you want to go. So, for example, you want to go to Hawaii. 
Well, Hawaii often has very strict requirements for COVID, but they change a lot. How do you know what is current now? Well, IATA promises to take care of that for you. So you go to the website that I will put a link to in the show notes. It is basically iatatravelcenter.com, but it's, it's everything's always spelled weird when I try to give URLs. IATA is I-A-T-A, travel is travel, but center is spelled with an E, C-E-N-T-R-E, iatatravelcenter.com. Go to that website and you can type in where you want to go and it will tell you what all the requirements are. And they're wacky. I mean, they, they are all over the place. Some countries don't care about anything. Some countries want very specific things. Some countries you have to have had a vaccine by a certain company. I have a friend who lives in Chile and the Chilean government won't recognize Pfizer as a valid vaccine. I mean, there's all kinds of weird things. So if you're thinking about travel anytime in the near future, check this site out, make sure that you can accommodate what they're asking for and keep checking it because stuff changes all the time. Now, there's an interesting little side note to this. Who is actually responsible for you getting all your stuff done so that you can travel? Well, the answer is actually your travel carrier. Well, you're ultimately responsible because you're responsible for yourself. Your travel carrier, whether it be an airline or on a cruise, you the cruise line or the airline will be the ones to vet whether you have all your stuff or not. Just like they check to make sure you have a valid passport, they're also going to check to make sure you have a valid COVID card, and they will check to make sure that you have a covid test if that's needed and what type it's still not any fun dealing with this stuff uh, i got on this ship fairly easily because i've done it before and i paid attention to what they wanted and just so you know to take a cruise out of la right now which i just did you need a covid vaccination two shots that is you need two shots of pfizer or moderna or one shot of johnson and johnson you also need a negative covid test that was done in the last two days not 48 hours two days they changed that and it can be a rapid test for any reason you don't have a covid vaccination and you do have a doctor's note saying that you can't get a covid vaccination for whatever reason you have to have a negative pcr test and also communicate with the cruise line because you're going to be restricted on what you can do on board again super complicated but this website can help you out check it out Check it often and try to have all your ducks in a row because there are people being denied travel because they don't meet these requirements. Product review. So I bought this thing that I didn't think would actually work because I bought them in the past and they just haven't worked, especially for lightning plugs. And it is a cable, a little cord, cord cable. We could argue about the definitions there, I suppose, but it's basically a cord that will charge micro USB USB-C and lightning. So if you're somebody who has an iPhone, you can use this cord to charge. Actually, it'll charge three different things at once. I'm actually using it right now and I have a USB-C device plugged in that's charging and I also have my iPhone in that's charging. It's one cord to rule them all, basically, except for maybe your old GoPros that use mini USB. You're on your own for that. The truth is that Apple requires lightning plugs to have a chip in them and they have to buy a subscription to them. And what I've found is that these things just stop working after a couple of weeks or never work. I bought one in 2013 that looked great. It never charged my iPhone. So when I saw this, I thought, well, I'll try again, but I really didn't think it would work. Well, guess what? 
it works. <laughs> no, it really does. I am able to use this thing to charge my phone, my DJI Osmo Pocket 2, which I use to record videos, all my little stuff. Now, it is not a data cable. This is important. It really only charges, but it charges well and it takes up just a tiny bit of space. So instead of having a drawer full of cords and cables like I used to, I can just have this one thing in there and I know that I can charge nearly whatever I want in an emergency. I don't use this as my primary charger. Each device I have has its own cable for charging, but sometimes I forget them or sometimes I, I need two, like my DJI Osmo Pocket 2 has a microphone that needs to be charged too. So I actually need two USB chargers. Oops, I only brought one. They're both dead. Well, then this thing comes to the rescue. It's just a nice little bit of kit to throw in your van just in case you need it. And they're cheap. I mean, it's 14 bucks for two. So I'll have a link in the show notes. Um, it's a Chinese product. There's no brand name that I'm aware of, but I, ha I can say that these things work. They're great for travel and they're great for having in a van. And it's probably a good idea just to have one tucked away for that time when you absolutely need one type of cable and you don't have it. A place to visit. So I just got back from Baja, California. Yes, some time has passed between the beginning of this podcast and now, and I specifically went to Cabo San Lucas and then immediately got on a bus and headed up to Todos Santos, which is about halfway up the west coast of Baja, California. Now, I know a lot of van life people are curious about Baja, California, and this is not going to be in any way an extensive recommendation or not about Baja, California. But I I do want to share with you the things I found, and they may inform you as to whether you want to continue to research going to Baja or not. First is, Baja is a desert environment. Lots of tall cactuses. They look like saguaros, but they're not saguaros. Uh, very, very dry, and lots of open space. Now, there are big cities here. They have this area called the Cabos, which is down by Cabo San Lucas, and that's about 850,000 people. So it's not completely desolate. But if you want to find a quiet spot to just hang out on the beach by yourself, it isn't going to be too hard. But I was curious as to what the locals thought about Americans coming down in vans and RVs. Well, the impression I got from our tour guide, who I talked to about this quite a bit, was that they like Americans coming down. They're a little disappointed that people who come down in vans don't spend all that much money. I mean, there are RV resorts that you can stay at if you want to support the local economy, but, you know, they, and they'd rather you stay in a hotel, basically. But they like the Americans. They... And this is literally what he told me. He, they find that the Americans are very clean, take good care of the spots, and keep to themselves. So I found that very encouraging. Now, Cabo San Lucas is about 1,100 miles from the border. So it is a bit of a drive to get all the way down the bottom of Baja Peninsula. But it's very skinny, and you'll see the ocean along much of that drive. Now, there's only one highway, so if something bad happens, like an accident or something, you can get stuck. And that highway isn't quite up to American standards. We were riding on it in a bus, and it was a fairly bumpy ride, so you're going to want to take it easy. And people, you know, drive a little bit crazy here because uh, they drive a little bit crazy everywhere. I, I was scared witless in L.A. just getting to the ship. What about fuel? Because I know some people are concerned about getting fuel in Mexico. 
Well, there is virtually no support for electric vehicles. So if you're in some sort of magic electric van, this is not the place to go unless you brought your own generator. That's literally what they told me. But gas and diesel are pretty easy to find, if a little bit expensive. You can plan on paying about LA prices. Now, uh, what he told me was that people coming down from LA are thrilled at how cheap the gas is. But what I observed were prices in the four to 450 a gallon range. Now they sell their fuel in liters down here. But when you do the math, it comes out to be to four to four dollars to 450 a gallon. And uh, I did see diesel in a lot of places. So diesel was not hard to find. If you stay on that main route going down, I don't think you're going to have too much trouble. And you kind of have to stay on that main route. You can go off for adventures in spurs, but you're going to be back on that road at some point. I would recommend anybody coming down here, come down for the peace, the nature, and stay away from the touristy towns unless you just want to check them out. I mean, Cabo San Lucas is a cruise port. It's sure it has a lot of people there, but it's a bunch of really loud bars and people trying to sell you drugs on the street, and it's a party town. If that's your thing, great, but you know, it isn't my thing. So. I would come to Cabo and spend a little bit of time there and then head out into the hills. Todos Santos, which is the home of Hotel California, which is where I spent the day, is also a touristy town, but it's a bit different. It's it's smaller and it's not as honky-tonk. There are a lot of bars, but there are also a lot of jewelry shops and art galleries. However, it is very, very touristy. This is not how the locals live at all. So yeah, you could cruise through and get your picture taken in front of the Hotel California, which, by the way, has nothing to do with the song. In fact, predates the song by a couple of decades. It was actually founded by a Chinese guy who changed his name to Don Juan Tabasco. Kind of a fascinating story there, but nothing to do with the song. However, as we were sitting in the bar, this guy grabbed a guitar and started playing Hotel California on the guitar, of course, and he made us sing along with him. Do you think you want to drive down to Mexico and you're looking for a relatively safe way to do it? Baja California might be the way to do that. If you look on the crime charts for Mexico, Baja is on the lowest end of the range. And I felt totally safe here all the time. It was actually quite nice. And I would love to come back down with my van. But again, the touristy stuff, eh, I could do without. By the way, if you're wondering where Baja California got their name from, well, it's actually California, the state that got the name from them. That little piece that sticks out there has always been called California, and don't feel like they're stealing it from the Americans. It's actually the opposite. Well, folks, thank you very, very much for listening to this episode 99, the last episode that is going to be done in this format. I don't know what's going to happen next week, and I might be a couple days late getting out the podcast, but there is more to come, I promise. Music, as always, is by Simon Wagg. And until next time, remember this Mexican saying, A mi la muerta me pela los dientes, which means death peels my teeth, <laughs> which means death can't do anything to me. I don't know why you'd want to remember that, but <laughs> go ahead. <laughs>